I'd like to welcome you to ING, where we try to learn something about everything. The where, when, what, why of the world, and how I see it. I question everything, because I'm no genius. Okay, yep, we are, um, yeah. Hey guys. <laughs> Um, yeah, we got another one, another episode that I can chalk up on the chalkboard of me doing a good job and being consistent. But this one, I want to start off by saying that I did a whole heck of a lot of research and reading really just into like one in, in one area. So not a, not, I mean, it wasn't like a wide area of research, but it was pretty deep in here with notes and highlights. And you'll see, I'll link it in the show notes. And here's the thing I've been using Overcast as my podcast player, preferred podcast player. And I've realized that. Since I'm using Anchor to host my podcasts, I published Anchor because it's free, because I'm cheap and I don't have money for this, but I really enjoy it. I have money for this. I just haven't set it aside because I'm cheap. There, I said it. And also, side note, on top of a side note, I'm recording this late. I'll explain why after I finish the first side note. Because I'm recording on Anchor and publish, well, I'm recording on a different app, publishing to Anchor, and then Anchor distributes it. Um... For some reason, with all the passing through services, Overcast doesn't let you click links that are in the show notes. It's strange. Every other podcast player allows it, and I've checked. I've even checked the obscure ones. And when I say obscure, I really just mean the ones that people don't know much about because they're just springing up into action. Like um, Podfriend, one of my favorite... Well, one of my favorite new ones because it integrates podcasting 2.0 so well. Uh, but it's still just a web app. So there's a problem there. Hypercatcher is one you can use on uh, iOS that uh, implements it very well. Uh, it, it uses podcasting 2.0 standards, but uh, the UI could use, I don't know, for the work they put into it, it's great. But it just doesn't seem as polished as something, even as Podfriend. But I think, my personal opinion, I think that Overcast is the most polished and most feature-rich podcast app player on iOS. And that's just my opinion. But yes, there you go. At this point, I actually forgot what my other side... No, no, there we go. I'm recording this at a very late hour. I'm recording this podcast at 10.44 p.m. And the reason why is because I have two sons. And these two sons need to be asleep before I can actually record a podcast. And I'd love to do it uh, midday because I've realized something. I am way more sharp and my voice doesn't have as much vocal fry midway through the day. And that's 
that's something I'm trying to mitigate with some, uh, <laughs> I said mitigate, it sounds like medicate. I'm trying to fix that with some hot tea right now, but I don't know, it doesn't seem like it's working very well. Uh, you tell me if you think it does. <coughs> I went down the wrong way. <coughs> Moving on. So, today's episode, I wanted to say that is, it's on geocentrism. I think I mentioned that in the last episode, that I would do the study. And I did do the study, and I went through, and I'll... I'll give a reason why I even wanted to do this study in the first place. I'm one who believes in a geocentric worldview. Now, my geocentric worldview is different than the traditional geocentric worldview. <clears throat> and I'll explain to you why exactly that is and how exactly that is. Because it needs explaining. One thing that needs explaining, and I'll, I'll, I'll get this out of the way right off the bat, because I, I'm really not going off of notes per se. I'm going off of a PDF document that's been highlighted and note. it's got notes in it. Notized? Note, notif notified? Yes. So I'm going off of that. So right now I'm just going off the top of my head with some things that need to be put out up front. Up front, when you say geocentrism, a lot of people will now consider you a flat earther because flat earthers have to have a geocentric worldview for flat earth to make sense. I'm not a flat earther. I am just a geocentric believer. So now that that's out of the way, let's continue on. And I have a PDF document that I'm, oh, wrong button. I have a PDF document that I'm scrolling through right now that is 40 pages long, but I only read up to page, where am I looking at? Um, page 20, I think. I think I went a little bit past page 20. Yeah, just a little bit, but I didn't highlight past it because I got to a point in other studies and listening, and this is why I'm saying this up front off the bat, which kind of makes the rest of this episode obsolete, but I'll just put it out there just because I've already done most of the research. But I did some studies that shifted my stance on geocentrism not that it's not that my worldview isn't geocentric anymore it just shifted the understanding of the earth's position in things so i'll explain this i'll explain this in a moment let's just go through some some of the highlights that i made in here to explain why i think well oh, shoot i've been saying that i need to explain things i really should have structured this better but i thought that i should just record this because having something is better than having nothing and expecting it to be perfect, because it won't be, so. Hmm. What I wanted to do with this episode would be was, was to challenge the predominant worldview currently being taught. And the reason why is because a few thousand years ago, everyone believed in the geocentric model. Currently, Everyone believes in the heliocentric model. Back then, you would be shamed to no end if you even suggested anything remotely close to a heliocentric model, and now it's the opposite way with geocentrism. My whole point in saying that is, science changes. And yes, you can say 
that science changes for the better and we're constantly improving and that we're at a more under we understand things better now and that's why we believe in heliocentrism and not geocentrism because now we have better science but i want to throw a wrench into that argument into the spokes of the bike of that argument <laughs> by use of a hollywood reference so if anyone has seen star trek there was not the tv show because I haven't seen the TV show. I've only seen the movies that Hollywood put out. But in, I'm not sure which one of them they are, but in one of them, I think it was Scotty. Someone got beamed up somewhere. Someone was in control of the beaming up and out. And they were supposed to beam someone into a moving ship. And the fear was, oh no, we've never beamed anyone into a moving object before. This is unbelievable. You can't do science. The, pro, the, the, the the thing is, it was successful, and the movie was successful. They were beamed into a moving spaceship, and there was a comment the fellow said. And he said, wow, I never thought to think of the fact that space was the thing that was moving and not the ship. And somehow math worked through the beaming technology in the Star Trek universe to allow for that mathematical model to allow for him to beam someone into a moving object because if the math allows for space moving then that singular point that you're trying to beam someone towards doesn't matter because that's stationary and everything else is moving so that opens that opens up a mindset through a sort of subliminal messaging that kind of just prepares you for the idea to, or to accept an idea that's foreign to your own thinking already and saying, oh, well, yeah, I guess it makes sense that that could be done in that way because the math checks out. Because obviously they did what they did and beamed them up and I get it, it's a movie. I'm just making a point here. The point here is that science changes and there's no telling whether someone will figure out, will figure out something in the future, whether that's by scientific reasoning or whether that's by revelation of some sort, that we're actually the center of the universe again. Wow, imagine that. It could happen. I'm not saying that it will, but I'm saying it could. Because science is a prove-wrong basis worldview, where it's constantly trying to prove itself wrong. And if proving itself wrong has better science, science by having a geocentric worldview, you can be sure that they will move back to a geocentric model. So now that that's out of the way, just saying that I wanted to put a different view than what's currently accepted out there, just to let you know that there's other options to believe in. And when was the last time someone asked you if you were geocentric or heliocentric in your worldview? Has anyone ever? I don't believe so. This is one of those things that you would just bring up as a, a joke conversation as a kind of like one of those would you rather questions you know would you rather eat worms <clears throat> my voice broke how embarrassing would you rather eat worms for the rest of your life or would you rather eat centipedes for the rest of your life obviously worms because you don't have to worry about chewing on shoes for the rest of your life with all those little centipede legs stupid joke <laughs> hey man you suck I get it but Still, the 
point remains. <laughs> the point remains, this, this isn't anything that you should be, you know, too focused on. I'm too focused on this. I shouldn't even be recording this right now, but I am because I did the studies and you have to suffer through it. And soon enough, there's going to be advertisements in this podcast and some poor sucker of an advertiser is going to pay me to have their advertisement in the beginning of this episode. But that's their problem. So, now that we wasted 12 and a half minutes on explaining what I'm going to do with this, let's get into it. So I have, and it will be linked in the, sh linked in the show notes for everyone who isn't using Overcast, and hopefully we can get this figured out with Overcast, but it, if we don't, whatever, go just get the link from Apple Podcasts or something. Um, but for now, moving forward, there will be a uh, PDF file that is highlighted with the notes that you can read through and follow along if you'd like. In astronomy, the geocentric model, also known as geocentrism, is, I guess, is, there's, oh no, I read that wrong. Let me start over. In astronomy, the geocentric model, also known as geocentrism, often exemplified specifically by the Ptolemaic system, is a superseded description of the universe with Earth at the center. That's the idea, generally. Under the geocentric model, the sun, moon, stars, and planets all orbited Earth. The geocentric model was the predominant description of the cosmos in many ancient civilizations, such as those of the Aristotle, or such as those of Aristotle in classic Greece and Ptolemy in Roman Egypt. So, this is where my current studies, and I'm getting really close to the microphone to give you the NPR feel. This is where my current studies have caused me to part ways with the generally accepted view of geocentrism. I don't believe that everything revolves around the Earth. <gasps> oh no. I do believe that the Earth is the center of the universe. So our solar system is the center of the universe and the Earth still revolves around the sun and I'll explain that in a little bit. It's based off of a verse and I think it's Revelation that I'm probably going to have to find it or I might just link it in the show notes because it's it's going to, I don't have the Bible app on this iPad and it's going to be too long and too long of a pause in between finding it. I'll find it. Talks about how, and this is, this is something you might have to read into it, which kind of makes me shy to say it in the first place, but you don't at the same time. Now, if you don't, how would I say this? If you follow the types and shadows of the Bible, and types and shadows are something that are literary tools. It's not just something that's uh, spiritual or religious in nature. A type and a shadow is a foreshadowing tool that people in the literary field use to make a better book. In the Bible, it's used for, it's used as a educational tool, really, in your spiritual walk to be able to have a, an example that builds on to another example that builds on to a worldview or a doctrine. Just something that needs to be taught will usually have a kind of like a, a visual example somewhere else in scripture. And I wish I had all the examples just off the top of my head like some other people, but I don't. So I think I, think I need to just move on. So I'm just going to move on here and... We'll, we'll, we'll keep going. Oh, I should have played this right from the start. Just listen to this now and suffer through it. Some viewers may find the following disturbing. Viewer discretion is advised. 
We're, mo we're moving on. So, where did I leave off of? Okay, here's, here's, I'm going to read two kind of paragraphs and then a note that I made off of another highlight. And, and I think I might just do that. I'll just read some of the highlights instead of reading everything. I'll do it that way. Okay, so the first paragraph. First, from anywhere on the earth, the sun appears to revolve around the earth once per day, while the moon and the planets have their own motions. They also appear to revolve around the earth about once per day. The stars appear to be fixed on a celestial sphere, rotating once each day uh, about an axis, or an axis through the geographic poles of the earth. Second, earth seems to be unmoving from the perspective of an earthbound observer. It feels solid, stable, and stationary. Next highlight. Ancient Greek, ancient Roman, and medieval... Eh, <laughs> medieval... Medieval... That's how you say it, right? Medieval. Yes, medieval philosophers usually combined the geocentric model with a spherical Earth, in contrast to the older flat Earth model implied in some mythology. So I want to say this right here. Flat Earthers were there first, but their model is harder to get behind. That's why it fell flat. Because the science is so much harder with a flat Earth. And plus... Having a, what was it, the, not the solar eclipse, I think it's a lunar eclipse, lets you know that the Earth is not flat. Because when the Earth intercepts the sun's, what was it, the sun's, what would you call it, light path to the moon, you can see a little dot on the surface of the moon, and that's the Earth's shadow being cast on the moon. That little shadow is a circle the only shape object that can crack that can cast a circle shadow out of a three-dimensional object is a sphere you can't have a circle a flat disc or even a flat square or flat whatever shape that the earth would be cast a three cast a circle shadow onto a three-dimensional object being the moon even if the moon was two-dimensional the shadow of a two-dimensional object being cast onto another two-dimensional object would not be a spherical shape it wouldn't be a circle it'd be something else some kind of ellipse or even less than an ellipse you probably wouldn't even see much of a shadow so there's just a tad bit of science to show that but there's there's other forms and i like the simpler science is better whenever you don't have to get into tools because when you use a tool you have to have a an assumption of what the data being produced by the tool would represent and that assumption hypothesis whatever can be read to support or disprove your hypothesis so that data that comes through the tool could be used to support or disprove your hypothesis. So I really don't like the hard science or the, the using of tools as much as I just like the basic stuff. So moving on. Where was it? Here we go. Greeks believed that the motions of the planets were circular and not elliptical, a view that was not challenged in Western culture until the 17th century when Johannes Kepler postulated that the orbits were heliocentric and elliptical, which follows Kepler's first law of planetary motion. Moving on, it was gradually superseded by the, the geocentric model, was gradually superseded by the heliocentric model of Copernicus in 1473, 
or he lived from 1473 to 1543. Galileo, as well, who lived from 1564 to 1642, and then Johannes Kepler from 1571 to 1630. Uh, side note, uh, there was much resistance to the transition between the two theories, blah, 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 blah. Uh, some Christian theologians were reluctant to reject the traditional theory and agreed with biblical passages. Others felt a new, unknown theory could not subvert, subvert an accepted consensus for geocentrism. And here's a note that I put in here. Uh, a note should be made is that just because something is agreed upon in a consensus does not make it a fact, and that is why we don't believe in geocentrism anymore. Because just because the group think says it's a fact doesn't mean that it is. Moving on. I realize how um, how I sound right now. I really sound like I'm very conflicted because I'm talking about how just because a group says that something is right doesn't mean that it is. And then I'm giving you the reasons why I believe something based on nothing. I don't know. It just seems like I'm being an idiot here. Don't be stupid. I am. I'm just being stupid. Moving on. Uh, most educated Greeks... Most educated Greeks from the 4th century BC on thought that the Earth was a sphere at the center of the universe. Now, I believe that. But I also do believe that the Earth revolves around the sun. Gravity has something to do with that. Uh, just a little bit. But what I mean to say is, modern science would have you believe that we're nothing special in our Earth or universe or, uh, sorry, galaxy, which resides in the universe, which is part of a multiverse, which is part of a, a Googleplex. Moving on from all those stuff, I think we're at the center of it. I think that if you come from a biblical worldview and you want your worldview to hold any water in a biblical, theological, religious sense, you have to have faith in it. And if we're talking about the Bible, and really any translation here is, is a key. Now, the newer ones take out a lot of the occurrences, but it still doesn't take away from a specific fact. The Bible references the sun going up and coming down. And you can say that, oh, well, that was from the perspective of the Earth Observer. And the Earth Observer didn't have science on his side because science... I really don't... <laughs> I use that voice a lot for stupid people who think they're smart. I should be using that for myself. Listen. Come in, come in closer. Come in closer and listen real quick. Let me tell you a secret. The Holy Spirit helped write the Bible. And I believe that the Holy Spirit knows better than we do. There's your secret. Just because... We were earth, we are bound to the earth, and we humans in the day are bound to the earth, we're bound to the earth, and they observe things from the earth view and not from space doesn't mean they didn't have the one who created the universe telling them what words to write down. Does that make sense? The Bible says that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Spirit. Back in the day, when they were writing out any portion of the Bible, Old Testament or New, these men weren't just coming up with, what's the phrase? There's a phrase that Paul used in the Bible where he talked about cunningly devised fables. They weren't just making up some very cunningly devised story. It wasn't like it's some, because 
if that was the case, you can't have 66 books have so much in agreement and, I mean, literally just so much in agreement written over a period of, what, two, two, not two, four, four thousand, three, four thousand years. You can't have them all in agreement. It doesn't make sense. There's no way. There's no way man can do that. There really isn't, no matter what kind of reference books you have, and to have it have so much depth to the writing. Moving on, moving on, ah, through my pen, moving on. I really kind of just want to be done with this episode because I really feel like I did the research for nothing, and I'll explain why at the end. I think I did partly at the beginning, but I'll explain why at the end, and you're suffering through it. I need to put up another episode because I have more coming up, and those ones should be better because they're not as controversial. <laughs> the next one's going to be very controversial. It's going to get me in so much trouble. Moving on. Where are we going here? Um, first of all, if the Earth did move, there, one second. Adherence to the geocentric model stemmed largely from several important observations. First of all, if the Earth did move, then one ought to be able to observe the shifting of the fixed stars due to stellar parallax. In short, if the Earth was moving, the shapes of the constellations should change considerably over the course of a year. If they did not appear to move, the stars are either much farther away than the sun and the planets than previously conceived, making their motion undetectable, or in reality, they are not moving at all because the stars were actually much further away than Greek astronom astronomers postulated, making movement extremely subtle. Stellar parallax was not detected until the 19th century. Now, that's something that, that's something that lends itself to the Earth actually moving in the universe. There is... Excuse me, I keep using the words interchangeably used in universe and galaxy, but the Earth moving in the galaxy, but not in the universe. So let's continue on. Another observation used in favor of the geocentric model at the time was the apparent consistency of Venus's luminosity, which implies that it is usually about the same distance from the Earth. Now, I want to make an... I have a note written here that says, this is a straw man argument, and it really is seeks to debunk a singular theory of the time. The consistency of Venus's luminosity could imply really anything, and not just that it keeps its same distance from the Earth consistently. That's not the... See, this is my point. You, you, you postulate an, a, a hypothesis, and you put that hypothesis out there, and you look for data that supports your hypothesis. And if you don't have someone there because a lot of these uh, philosophers seem like they didn't, they, they seem like they lived very recluse lifestyles, then you don't have someone thinking about it as deeply as you, and even if you did, it doesn't seem like this person who made this observation did. An apparent consistency of Venus's luminosity, shut your mouth. I mean, the consistency of a planet's luminosity does not necessarily mean that, like, look, how would I explain this? So in a heliocentric model, the consistency of luminosity would have to do with its distance from the Earth on the orbit that it is on with the, uh, uh, in, in the heliocentric model. In a geocentric model, its distance from the Earth would be relatively the same there too. So it does not make that big of a difference. This is why it's a straw man argument. In both models, helio and geocentric, it the, 
the distance of the planets is relatively similar. Give or take a thousand miles because of a, and I'll get to this, I think it was, I think it's, they ha I can't remember the word, it's, it's somewhere here in the thing, I'll, I'll find it and I'll just remind myself to remind you. There's a specific word of planets having an extra rotation on an already circular orbit. It's like a secondary orbit. I'll, I'll explain it. Moving on. Where is it? Um, yeah, last sentence implies that it's usually about the same distance from the Earth, which in turn is more consistent with geocentrism than heliocentrism. In reality, this is because the loss of light caused by Venus's phases compensates for the increase in apparent size con uh, caused by its varying distance from the Earth. So, I've noticed something. This statement here doesn't have any evidence to back it up. It's simply a postulation. A postulation that was put there that is supported by what would be modern science in a heliocentric model. But if it's a geocentric model, it doesn't hold water. The loss of light caused by Venus's phases compensates for the increase in apparent size caused by its varying distance from Earth. The statement is made that there is a varying distance from Earth. But the loss of light caused by the phases of Venus, in the same way that the moon has phases, compensates for the apparent change in size. I don't know if that makes enough sense. Venus looks like it changes in size. But because of phases as in the moon having phases, that's offset. Because it, it moves farther and closer from the Earth, its phases offset the size difference that would be there because heliocentrism. I could probably say it better than that, but that's as simple as I could get it. Moving on. For over, a for over a millennium, European and Islamic astronomers assumed that it was the correct cosmological model. Because of its influence, people sometimes wrong wrongly think the Ptolemaic system is identical with the geocentric model, even though it's not. Ptolemy was just the most popular geocentrist. So, let's move on. Uh, these combined with movements cause the given planets to move closer and further away from the Earth at different plant points in orbit and explain the... Oh, wait, right here, right here. This is the one. Uh, where's the word? Where's the word? Where's the word? Epicycle. That's the one. Okay, cool. So in the Ptolemaic system, each planet is moved by a system of two spheres. One is called the deferent, the other the epicycle. The deferent is a circle whose center point called the eccentric and is called the eccentric and marked on the diagram with an X. There's a diagram on the PDF that you can look at. Uh is removed from the earth so that that is the just like if you're looking at even the heliocentric model of the of the uh, universe that is the standard orbital line that it follows around the sun or the earth in the geocentric model the epicycle that's the interesting one the original purpose of the eccentric was to account for the difference in length of the seasons 
northern autumn was about five days shorter than the spring during this time period by placing the Earth away from the center of the rotation of the rest of the universe. Now, another sphere, the epicycle, is embedded inside the deferent sphere. Now, there's a YouTube video that I should have linked in notes, and I believe I do. I will link that so you can watch it. It gives a good visual representation of what the epicycle and the uh, deferent cycle, or the uh, eccentric, sorry. Yeah, yeah, right now. Uh, yes. Eccentric? Deferent? The deferent. There we go. It has a good visual representation of the differences between the two. So, these combined movements cause the given planet to move closer and further away from the Earth at different points in orbit and explain the observations that planets slowed down, stopped, and moved backward in retrograde motion and then, again, reversed to resume normal or prograde motion. There is a phenomenon that stargazers, professional ones, ones with high-grade telescopes, will notice. And this phenomenon is the apparent reversal in motion of the planets. Which is just insane. But the the what would you call it? The geocentric model explained that through the epicycle, which actually was a pretty good thought. I mean, if you think about it, it's a very what would you call it? Advanced uh, hypothesis to put out there. A, a secondary uh, orbital motion on an already orbiting motion. It's very complex in, pra in, in even explaining it. Extremely complex. But let's go, uh, let's go farther. By using an equant, the, the video will explain that better because I can't very well. Ptolemy claimed to keep motion which was uniform and circular. Although it departed from the uh, platonic, <laughs> platonic ideal of uniform circular motion. So Ptolemy and Plato were kind of at odds with how exactly the geocentric model would be the most accurate to science. And here's something. It's important to keep in mind that this is still just a theory so the ideal of a uniform circular motion, this is what I mean by just a theory, both the geocentric and heliocentric models are still just theories. There's no way to 100% prove any rotation because even if you get something out in space, you still cannot tell what's really moving. You can't, whether that's your, your camera your satellite, the earth, the moon, the sun, you can't tell what's really moving because what if it's just your satellite? And even if you sense something moving farther away from something else, how do you know which one is moving? You don't. There's no way. There's no way to know. This is all just hypothesis and theory. Now, Plato wanted an ideal, uniform, circular motion. And because the two disagreed, for some reason both of their uh, theories were blown out of the water. Now, the ideal of a uniform circular motion doesn't pull a whole lot of weight to be destructive to the entire theory because, oh no, see, it's not perfectly circular, so geocentrism is a lie. It doesn't hold water. The idea is that they both were trying to find, because, because they believed in geocentrism, they believed in essentially that Earth was perfect in form, and that's why it was the center of the universe. And 
Everything about it had to be perfect, including their model where all the planets would revolve in perfect circles around the Earth because it's perfect. The problem with that is nothing is perfect. Nothing in nature is perfect. Nothing in human existence. Nothing in the human experience is perfect. So that alone, I mean, these guys are philosophers. They should have known this. But there. This is another straw man argument saying that because it wasn't perfect, obviously, geocentrism doesn't hold water. Well, no, because this is just, this is just something that they got wrong. Like, you don't have to have everything right. <sighs> trying to find my next highlighted point. Yeah, I skipped a lot. I think it's because it's in the religious side of it now, which we don't have to bring that much religion into this. I already did a lot of that. So moving on. Geocentrism and rival says, you know what? Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Let's find the next few notes that I put in here. Read those notes instead of just going through all these things because, like I said, this isn't the most important thing to have a note on. This is just, this is me kind of backing up that there is, you know what? Let me read some things. Let me read some things. And I'll get to that point at the end because I want to be done with this already. I'm tired and this shouldn't have been recorded in the first place. Which the invention of the telescope. Okay, this was the first time someone could see imperfections in a celestial body that was supposed to be composed of perfect ether. This is another thing that the ancients got wrong. They believed that everything outside of Earth was composed of essentially eighth ether, which is just, it's like the, the fifth element. So there are four base elements, earth, air, wind, and fire, air and fire, whatever you want to call it, earth, whatever. And that is part of uh, a specific form of witchcraft that's making a resurgence nowadays. It really, every Disney movie has to mention earth, air, wind, and fire, or the phoenix. And the phoenix is essentially another, it's another form of witchcraft, and it could be used to represent ether, but it's used to represent fire. There's a whole bunch of nonsense behind that, but continuing on. Ether is the fifth element made out of the four. And ether is supposed to be perfect. But here's something. Right here it says that because they use the telescope to see imperfections in the moon's surface, this goes to show that the moon wasn't made out of ether. It was made out of something solid, minerals. And because of that, geocentrism was a lie. Now, do you see where I'm coming from? These, these straw man arguments are what they're using to disprove the idea of geocentrism. It doesn't destroy the, the model at all. It simply states that the moon is any other celestial, well, any of the other celestial bodies are not made of ether. That's all it does. Because you can still have a geocentric model and say, oh, well, we screwed up. It's not made of ether. It's made of something else. Maybe one day we'll be able to fly to the moon and see. That's it. That's all you had to do. Continuing on. Where are we going? Um, let's see here. Where's the next sentence? Galileo could also see the moons of Jupiter, which he decided to, or which he dedicated to, I'm not going to try and pronounce that. That's some kind of, you know what, I'll try. Cosmio e de Medici, and stated that they orbited around Jupiter, not Earth. 
this was a significant claim, as it would mean not only that everything revolved around Earth, as or not only that not everything revolved around Earth as stated in the Ptolemaic model, but also showed a secondary celestial body could orbit a moving celestial body. <gasps> oh no! It only strengthened it only strengthened the heliocentric argument. Could that be so? I suppose so. This claim isn't as as detrimental as you would think. Um, since a normal person wouldn't disagree that certain celestial bodies could revolve around other celestial bodies. Really, anyone could think that. If, if things had the possibility of revolving around the Earth, well, then obviously things could also revolve around other celestial bodies. So this particular observation doesn't strengthen or weaken either, either of the models, heliocentric or geocentric or really any of the geocentric models that are out there. It doesn't seem to. It just simply states that there, there's, because of gravity, things revolve around other things. So I, 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 I kind of stopped there. That was page, I think, um, 17, maybe 18. And I stopped there because I realized that this is kind of a lost cause. Because at the beginning, I stated that this is not a conversation that needs to be had. Whether you're geocentric or heliocentric doesn't necessarily matter. It doesn't really. Now, you can get into some nitty-gritty details if you're a Bible believer that you really should be more geocentric than heliocentric because of all the references in the Bible that say that the sun goes up and goes down and that the stars are moving and not the earth and all sorts of things that are mentioned that would lend itself to a geocentric model versus helio. But that doesn't define your salvation. This is simply something that you can claim blissful ignorance on. I mean, ignorance, not willful ignorance, but ignorance, true True ignorant ignorance, meaning you just truly don't know, is really bliss. I mean, you're, you're literally like, hey, you're blissfully unaware of what the truth actually is, and that's just fine. You know, like, might as well in some situations be that ignorant, and that's not a bad thing. Ignorant usually is used as pejorative. Oh my god, you're so, you're so arrogant, you're so ignorant. Ugh. It's not that bad. It's not that bad being ignorant. It's actually kind of a good thing sometimes because then you don't, people don't expect so much out of you. If you act like you know anything, or even if you know anything, people will treat you as if you're one, full of yourself because, oh, he thinks he knows everything. Even though that's not the case, you just know a few things. I'm speaking from experience if you can't tell. Moving on. Moving on. We don't need to get into that. I don't want this episode to be published, but I'm going to because I need to put something up because I need to do this. I need to stay accountable. I said I would do it, and I did it. The next one, though, will get me in trouble, and a lot of it, if people actually listen. And I say that because I've just learned some pretty, pretty detrimental things to podcasting and the stats and how they're completely and totally unreliable in the current iteration of podcasting, which is why Podcasting 2.0 will save us and 
bring us to stark realizations of how horrible our performance actually is. But that's okay, because I really never thought that I was doing too well anyway. This is just a hobby to me, because I'm not getting paid, but that might change. I might do advertising pretty soon for local things. Maybe. If I get free stuff out of it, that'd be awesome. But here's the idea. The next episode will be on... Get ready for it. Uh, I guess I could say it, because free speech, abortion. <laughs> it's going to be on abortion, yo. I'm going to deconstruct the actual reason that anyone would ever get an abortion ever. And there's only one reason. And I sound like an idiot saying this, but there is only one reason anyone would ever want to get an abortion and ever. I'm going to sound like an idiot. I'm going to sound like a chump. I'm going to sound like a religious nut. I'm going to sound like all these things by using this one word, but I'm going to save that for next episode. Not this one. So, um, this is the end of this one. Um, I've done a lot recently with the website. Not much, just, just a few things. I updated the podcast logo, the official logo, I guess, and uh, the official original podcast album art. And um, if you're on any, uh, I guess, more more modern or one, and some of these podcasting players have different features. Some don't. Spotify has this feature. Some of them don't. Where if you use Anchor to publish, you'll get uh, custom episode art for every episode. Some people, like the No Agenda Show, have all that under their control because they manage the raw RSS feed which I don't and don't know how to host my own podcast. I kind of want to, and I have a way that I think I could do it with a Raspberry Pi, which would be wonderful because I don't have nearly enough traffic to crash a Raspberry Pi. And I, I have the four, which is great. Um, and I could turn it into a server. I could actually partition drives on it to where I could have my own home server that is just partitioned right on the side of a server that runs uh, my podcast, maybe, or maybe just get a different unit altogether. I don't know. Future plans. That would be great. I want to do this self-hosting so bad. It would be great. And it would suck at the same time because all the headache is on you, but it would be great because it would be a great learning experience. And then I'd have more granular control over my podcast. But this is it. I'm done with it. So... Why don't they just shut up? I will. I'm done with it. And I will see you in the next one when I get myself into hot water. Goodbye, all. To my podcast, give me five stars.